Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, September 15th edition of the Basement Academy. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day to wrestle a little bit, to offer a prayer uh, with a psalm, and to continue this work of stretching and growing in the gymnasium of the souls. We're working through this critical race theory. If it's not critical race theory, how do we bring about justice and and and, and uh, equity and equality and freedom in our society. And so hopefully today will inch us a little further forward, probably moving a little outside of my lane as a pastor. This is kind of moving a little bit into more of a civics lesson, uh, but I think it's helpful for us to think about. And then where we'll kind of land <laughs> at the end of the, the morning, our study um, will lead us into the next couple days. So let's start with the morning psalm, Psalm 135. It's a little longer than the last couple days' uh, psalms. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. And you who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, what's the theme of this psalm? <laughs> It's a psalm of praise. Praise for the one who chose Abraham. So chose Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob to be uh, his treasure possession, his people. So I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and through you bless all people. So it starts there. And then he's the creator. Okay, brings out the wind from the storehouses, does whatever pleases him in the seas and the skies, etc. And then he's the God of redemption. And so he came against Pharaoh and led his people Israel out. And so there's a, a recalling of the um, Exodus event. And then your name endures forever. And so it contrasts 
praising God for his, his call and election and choice of Abraham, praising God for his great creation, praising him for his work and redemption and, and the exodus and, and salvation of his people, Israel. And then it contrasts with the folly of idolatry. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men, and those who make them will be like them. And it goes through this somewhat almost humorous exposition. (laughs) You make this statue with your own hands. You give it eyes, you give it ears, you give it a mouth, but it is completely lifeless. And if you worship that, you devote yourself to something your hands have made, you will become lifeless as well. And so it's a, it's a wonderful psalm. And I think it serves as a little bit of a backdrop um, as we're talking about something that I, critical theory, I think is in critical race theory is a man-made system. It's a framework divorced completely from scripture. And ultimately it will be lifeless. It will be inert. It will fail. It, it, It may prevail in our society in a way, but it will fail to bring about justice. It will only bring about greater division and greater greater harm because it does not have the founding and the grounding in, in truth. Okay. I was talking yesterday about the exception and the rule. So uh, injustice, oppression, discrimination, violence, cruelty, and the like, these are not exceptions. This is the rule. The fact that we think of these things as exceptions because we don't see them at work broadly in our society, we naively think that, boy, oppression is such a, a, a very limited human experience and violence and cruelty and injustice. There, there are these realities in our society, but on the whole, our society is committed to liberty and justice for all. And we have laws to help secure that, okay? And so... Yesterday's reflection led me overnight to think about this. Don't wonder, Christian, why there's injustice everywhere. We should marvel that there is justice anywhere. In a world full of sinners, individual sinners who then gather into tribes, moral, ideological, skin color tribes and the like, racial, racially based tribes, We should marvel that there's any kind of justice anywhere in the world. And so we have to stay grounded in the realities of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. If we're naive about sin, we're going to get confused. If If we're not clear on what sin does to the human personality and then the human society or human communities, we'll look around and say, I can't believe... There's all this injustice everywhere. And I say, how in the world is there justice anywhere? God is so merciful to grant justice in the midst of a, a, a world full of, of sin and sinners. Okay, so that's just a little tag on to yesterday. Here's where kind of we go into civics lesson now. But, but we have to think Christianly about our civics, okay? Understanding the human personality based on Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, the glory of being human made in the image of God, and the, 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 the humiliation of, of the fall, uh, the, the blessing and the burden as I sometimes talk about it. 
at best, we will in our human societies be able to mitigate injustice. We will never eliminate injustice. At best, we will mitigate it or limit it or restrain it in, in some way. We will never eliminate injustice completely. Not humanly possible, okay? Um, there's more to say about that, but I wanna, wanna continue on here. Okay, so how, so if not critical race theory, then what? Okay, so now I'm starting to point in the direction, okay? The, the question is, how do we mitigate injustice? How will any society, how will any group of people come about and make sure that their community is a just community, just society? Two choices, through some deliberative process or by force and fiat, fiat being kind of decree, declaration, okay? So you're either going to have some deliberative process within that society, within that community, or you're going to have some decree, a declaration, and it will be enforced you know, unilaterally, okay? So this could happen in a small community like a family, Father knows best. Father says what's it. It's Or there's some conversation between husband and wife, parents and children, and, you know, a different deliberative process. I do think parents make those decisions, okay? But you can listen to the children, all right? I think those are the only two choices. At the end of the day, a society is either um, working through some deliberative process according to some agreed-upon ground rules, or it is an individual or a small group of individuals that are by decree telling everybody how it is going to be, right? And, and so you have tyranny or totalitarian regimes, tyranny uh, of kind of an individual um, or, or totalitarian regime that, that, that collaborates in a way to oppress others. And so deliberative process leads to laws that are simply codifying vision and values of that community. When you have fiat and force, you really have some arbitrary, you, you don't know what the ground rules are because they're coming from an individual or some kind of closed, non-transparent, secretive process, okay? And so, you know, the, the Kim Jong-uns and the Hitlers and the Taliban and these other kinds of things where you have fiat and force and, and, you know, who wants to live there, huh? <laughs> um, the, 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 the challenge around any work to mitigate injustice, that is to promote justice, you're, you're, you're when you're trying to codify vision and values, well, whose vision, whose values? Which vision? Which values? When you've got a, a, a society as large as ours, again, what, 335 or 350 million people, whatever we are, there are a lot of different visions, a lot of different values going on there, right? And so, um, and then obviously in the more tyrannical context where, where it's by uh, decree, well, that's where the vision and values are coming from, this person or this this small group of people. But even within that small group, there's usually one leader, right, who's who's calling the shots. 
And so the challenge is how do we keep justice from becoming just about us? That is, in a deliberative uh, process, you're going to have a majority, okay? So the ground rules are majority rule, okay? Whether it's, you know, on the on the playground deciding what game to play, you know, whether it's kickball or you don't play dodgeball anymore, I realize, but, you know, whatever it might be. Um, some group of people, some majority is going to rule and and if the majority always rules, it feels to everybody else that, that, yeah, this is what we're doing, but it's really just about you guys. So how does, this is a word play, of course, right? How do we prevent justice from becoming just about us? That's the challenge. And I believe the critical race theorists and those who are, um, deeply concerned about um, the white majority in our uh, society, I think this is what is being lifted up. And I think, you know, we should have ears to hear and eyes to see that this is a legitimate concern. That through deliberative process, constitutional process, um, majorities do prevail. And over time, the prevailing of majorities begins to look like injustice to minorities, those who are on the losing side. Now, an example would be, I go to Presbytery meetings. Uh, I'm a more conservative uh, pastor. Um, there's a few of us uh, still left at our Presbytery, but we're really out of alignment. I mean, Greenwich is, is out of alignment with our Presbytery and with our broader denomination. The vision and values that the PCUSA advocates uh, with regard to um, any number of things, but the, the, the couple that get lifted up significantly are issues with regard to um, sexual morality and marriage and the like. Um, the Presbyterian, our denomination, are much more um, left-leaning, progressive-leaning with respect to that, and so very affirming of, of gay marriage. And on these, so our Presbytery would be very supportive of critical race theory and what it teaches, the, the training that I went through this spring. I sit there as the minority at those Presbytery meetings when different votes come up over the years. You know, I vote the way that I believe God would have according to scripture, et cetera, but always lose, okay? So I just live in that tension, right? You know, but, but I'm free still to teach and preach this at Greenwich, right? But if you move that out into society, it's understandable why a majority white nation, which codifies certain vision and values, it looks to others, to, to racial minorities or other uh, minorities, that, yeah, it's just about you. I think that's what's really, I think that's really what's behind all this stuff, okay? That in any context where you've got a majority that has kind of prevailed over time, skin color, ideology, you know, it's like a faculty member sitting at the faculty meeting and they hold a certain point of view. And most faculty 
might not hold that point of view. If you're a conservative faculty member in, in higher education, it's, it's an uphill battle the whole time. So, so you can understand how wearying it is. Okay. So these are some of the challenges to constitutional and, and democratic process. Incremental change feels like justice delayed and justice delayed, as we've often heard, is really justice denied. So say those for whom their vision is not being enacted. Okay. And so here's our constant, here's our American United States constitution. Look how thin that is. And this is not even the full constitution. I mean, I mean, it's the full constitution, but it's got, it's got a foreword, you know, this is from the Heritage Foreword. Uh, my mom used to give these out like candy. <laughs> and so, uh, bless the memory of my mother today. And so this is one that, uh, you know, I have uh, many of them. If you want one, just let me know. The Declaration of Independence. Um, here's the Bill of Rights, starting with our first, oops, can't get, get it in front of the camera there. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. People, this whole thing, the whole booklet, even with commentary and donate to our organization, is 48 pages. So the Constitution itself and the Declaration of Independence probably consist of about 20, 25, 30 pages tops. And this is really small. It's amazing that this is what we think is going to lead to a just society kind of in a secular context. Again, we're going to talk about religious society uh, over the next couple of days. And so incremental change feels like justice delayed and denied. And frankly, if we are in the minority, and we've been in the minority, I'm sure all of us have in some context, it feels that way. So we need to be sympathetic and compassionate. Um, I just cited some of, I just, or just kind of was, was noting to myself just a little history of some of the amendments. So, so 1776, Declaration of Independence, just to hear those wonderful words again, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, not to grant them, they're granted from above, right? The creator has endowed us with these rights. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just, there's that word, just, powers, justice, they're just powers from the consent of the governed, okay? So 1776, Constitution ratified or, or drafted in 1787. You had the Articles of Confederation for about 10, 11 years. 1788, the ninth state to ratify, which then became, made it, gave, gave it the force of, of law. Wasn't until 1790 till the 13th state, Rhode Island, got on board. Okay, so ratification in 1788 with the understanding there were going to come some pretty quick amendments, hence the Bill of Rights in 1791. Okay, but slavery isn't abolished and, and it wasn't until the 13th Amendment, right? And that was 1865. 
neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. It took us till 1865 to get that one right. That incremental change was justice denied for that whole time. No question, okay? Um, 14th Amendment, 1868. Um, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, etc., shall not de- be deprived, <laughs> shall not deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of laws. So due process and equal protection, those things continue to be adjudicated, right? The 14th Amendment, 1868. Uh, uh, 15th Amendment uh, granting voting rights to uh, people of color, 1870. So, no slavery, 1865. Voting, 18, it, it took five years. Again, deliberative process, whose vision, whose values, justice felt like it was just about white people. Okay, so that's, this is just the history of our United States. It wasn't until 1920 in the 19th Amendment that women got the right to vote, the whole suffragette movement. And it wasn't until 1971 that 18 year olds, you could go off and fight, but you can't vote. Hey, what's up with that? Uh, and so we, our constitution and its amendments evidence this incremental change. And you could argue then that every one of those changes that took time to accomplish was justice delayed and ultimately justice denied. And so this is one of the challenges to our uh, constitutional deliberative uh, democratic process to which I think critical race theorists are saying, let's skip all that. I want to fast pass and let's just start teaching this stuff (laughs) in our schools and let's start teaching this stuff in our uh, corporations and in our other, in our higher education. And if you don't get on board with it, then you're out. Okay. And so people are being deprived of due process. Interestingly, again, kind of CRT, I think prefers, uh, seems to, to tilt a little bit in the the, the direction of fiat and force, which appears to be arbitrary to people who are living under that system. Um, another challenge is that we have ever-changing uh, vision and values that get codified. And so over time, people think differently. And so they elect representatives who vote in these deliberative legislative assemblies who then codify different laws and we repeal old laws and or supersede laws. And so now, again, through our separation of powers and judicial review, constitutional review, it is legal in all jurisdictions for two men to be married and two women to be married. Now, I think of marriage as something different as between man and woman, but our state, our the, the state has, has deliberate, deliberated and for those for whom that was something they felt was delayed and denied, now that feels like justice to those in the gay community. Uh, and there have been other uh, gains, as it were, you could say, for, for historic minorities. And so this ever-changing vision and values in a, in deliberative process, and so some feel that that... So, so now you've got a guy who wants to just bake cakes out in Colorado... 
And now because of the changing vision and values of our society that are codified in law, a guy who just says, hey, you know, I I can make it this cake and that cake, but I can't make it the, the, the cake that you want. And I know somebody who will. And so how about you just go down the street and do that? And so, so we see these conflicts because of changing vision and values codified in law. And so that's a challenge uh, that, that we're ahead of. I've already talked a little bit about the tyranny of the majority, you know, that it really just passes laws and policies that are just concerned to protect themselves. And I think there's some reality around that. But you also can have the tyranny of the minority, the filibuster in the Senate, right? But our system and our um, Robert's rules of order, par- parliamentary procedures, we call it, we use that in the Presbyterian church as well, is actually designed to protect the voice and the rights of the minority, that, that those who are in the minority have voice, have vote, have a way of of. Uh, adjudicating or, 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 or you know, uh, processing uh, their vision and, and their values within the community. But there is concern for the tyranny of the majority. And so that's what the, the concerns around gerrymandering, right? And so we're going to carve out this legislative district in a way that favors us because we're in power in that where we have the majority. And so that's some of the concern uh, about... Um, gerrymandering. But let me just land on this with the habits of the heart. The habits of the heart weaken over time. Uh, It's a phrase that Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, 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 a French philosopher, I think philosopher, who who came and visited in the 1830s to to look at this this new republic, Democracy in America. He wrote his, his book, Democracy in America, just his observations. And he talked about they have certain habits of the heart that is certain deeply ingrained realities sentiments affections ways of being and responding so habits but that are not physical habits but but habits of the heart the sentiments the affections the way of holding one another and so um, a sense of equality of opportunity and and, and knowing one another in these these um smaller communities, what, what are sometimes called mediating institutions, the civic associations, the bowling league, uh, the rotary, the Kiwanis, these, these gatherings where people would rub shoulders, people who had different political interests and different visions and values would still rub shoulders together. And they would do this in a collegial, um, friendly manner. And so, and so de Tocqueville observed there are certain habits of the heart that are true within the American people. And so it's this notion that, that, that kind of this, uh, what, what our Declaration of Independence and what our Constitution are after, there's a vision, there's vision and values for freedom, for liberty and justice for all, for equality of opportunity, recognizing there may not always be equality of outcome, that, that, that uh, life and nature and nature's God, there, there are just differences that, that, that will be there. Has our society always gotten gotten things right? Of course not. (laughs) Are we still getting everything right? Of course not. But critical race theory that wants to try to come in and by force and by fiat, and and this is, and and some of the concern is kind of like the mob justice that's happening with social media and, and all of this kind of call out and cancel culture. 
this, this, what seems to be emerging here, I think we need to continue to advocate, advocate for deliberative process, the separation of powers because of the reality of sin. This is where theology informs our civics, okay? Because of the theology of sin, we need a separation of powers within these branches of government. And we need kind of uh, processes by which there can be checks and balances and things can be reversed and overturned and reviewed and the like. And so, but, but over time, the habits of the heart weaken. And um, uh, any limited form of limited government, because we always want government to be limited. We never want it to be total because that's totalitarianism. Limited government always requires self-government first. And sinners don't self-govern all that well. That's the challenge. And so I, I, I mentioned yesterday, I wanted to come up with the, the John Adams quote. <clears throat> he, he writes that our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y. So it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Where the habits of the heart, where you have a moral and virtuous people and the founders and framers had a moral framework that was informed by the Judeo-Christian vision. Not all were Christians in the classical Orthodox sense, but this this virtuous vision, which again, the blinders, okay, how could you hold these slaves? Hello, you're saying all men are created equal, but this blind spot here that they couldn't see, well, that's what people do, right? <laughs> the lawyer looking for a loophole said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> and so sinners look for loopholes, right? Yet, Incrementally over time, what we've been doing is moving towards a more just society. But our constitution requires a moral, virtuous people. When the habits of the heart weaken, and this is the concern when we see the de-Christianizing of our society, more and more people, young people in particular, are disaffiliating from the church. They're not involved in any faith community, not just the Christian church, but any faith community. And over time, when the habits of the heart weaken, litigation will strengthen. If you won't do the right thing from, from within, you're only going to do the right thing when somebody's looking at you, then we're going to start looking at you more and we're going to litigate. If you will not do the right thing, then we will make you do the right thing. And so there's some concern that folks have, and I would share that, that in the 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 the, the D. Christianizing or uh, the, the, the religious disaffiliation uh, of our society as it unfolds over time is going to, uh, when the habits of the heart weaken, things get trickier and, and we're going to see force and mobs and um, justice that is going to become just about us uh, truly come to the fore. So a um, little long today, so apologize for that. Hopefully this has been, I've stepped out of my lane. I apologize, but but as an American citizen and as a Christian pastor, I actually think our theology and civics need to intersect. And this is why I wanted to talk about this today. Let's pray. Father, hear our prayer that made in the name of Jesus for mercy, uh, thankful for uh, these United States of America, for those brave patriots 
not only at the founding, but through the course of the many years who have fought and died to protect and defend the freedoms of our country. Help us uh, never to be uh, about a pursuit of justice that is just about us, but to be uh, living into the fullness of the ideals of these constitutional uh, freedoms uh, and liberties and, and laws uh, that have been codified, but to seek even that higher vision and value of your kingdom, uh, to be servants to others, um, even <laughs> when we may disagree. And so, Father, watch over us in our great nation today as we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of mercy, the God of providence, <laughs> the God of sovereignty and grace and truth, may that God watch over you, keep you and bless you today and forevermore.